is living, it is suffering, never trace nor stain of sin. See the true and better Adam come to save the hell man. Christ the great and sure fulfillment of the the Lord upon the tree in the stead of ruined sinners hangs the lamb in victory see the price of our redemption see the Father's plan unfold bringing many sons to glory grace Hebrews 13, 7 through 16. Remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Do not be led astray by the diverse and strange teachings, for it is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace not by foods, which have not benefited those devoted to them. We have an altar from which those who serve the tent have no right to eat. For the bodies of those animals who was brought into the holy places by the high priest as a sacrifice for sin are burned outside the camp. So Jesus also suffered outside the gate in order to sanctify the people through his own blood. Therefore, let us go to him outside the camp and bear the reproach he endured. For here we have to we have no lasting city, but we seek the city that is to come. Through him let us continually offer up sacrifice of praise to God, that is the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. All right. Good morning, church. If you've got your Bibles, go ahead and open up to Hebrews chapter 13. Hebrews chapter 13. Well, church, this past week, Has your heart been growing stronger and more stabilized in Christ? 
Or has your heart been growing weaker and more insecure? Now, when I say your heart, I'm not talking about your actual physical heart that pumps blood through your body, although I do hope that that heart is doing well for you this morning, okay? Uh, But when God, in his word, speaks of your heart, he's referring to the very center, the very core of your being, who you are, that place deep down inside where we think and feel and where we fear and doubt and where we trust and believe. And our hearts, each and every day, are either growing stronger or they are becoming weaker. And so has your heart this past week been growing stronger or becoming weaker? Now, most of us, we have a desire uh, to be growing stronger, right? We want to have a stronger faith in Christ. We want to have a stronger love for God and for others. We want to have less fears and anxieties in our hearts. We want these things. However, if we're honest, we sometimes don't know how to get stronger. We don't know how to strengthen our faith. We don't know how to strengthen our heart. Sometimes it feels like when we came to faith in Christ, it's like we got a membership to the gym, uh, but we don't know how any of the equipment works. Have you ever had those, I don't know if anybody joined a gym, but if it's been years since you've been in there, you walk in there and there's just stuff in there. Hey, I don't know what to do with this. And so all of a sudden you have access to all these pieces of equipment, all these things that can help strengthen you and and bring about health. And yet, and yet if you don't know how these things are to work, if you don't know how to be strengthened, you can sometimes take your own path and think of your own way. And things can get really crazy and weird when this happens, all right? For example, this first picture up on the screen, right? Okay, this is a guy who uh, is creative. We'll give him that. And I know not everyone can maybe see the screens that well, okay? This is a guy that's creative, but is using the weights and uh, in a way that they were really not designed to be used, okay? And uh, certainly there might be some strength he gets from that, uh, but in the end, he's going to get hurt, right? He's going to get hurt balancing like that. He's going to hurt someone else, and that is going to set him back in his, uh, in his pursuit of growing stronger and healthier. Or uh, what about this next lady? Okay, so, so she's on the treadmill, right? We'll give her that. She's on the treadmill, but she's sitting on the treadmill, okay? We don't know this backstory here. We don't know if this was a cheaper option than getting cable at home. We don't know what she's doing, okay? But we know that she's not going to get stronger and healthier on the treadmill this way, okay? Or what about this next one? Okay, this is a segue on a treadmill. So she's at least standing now. We have her upright but this is just too much technology. This is, the treadmill's not going to help her really get stronger and healthier in this situation. Uh, or, or what about this last one? So this guy, if you're not sure what that is, this is clearly a leg machine. This is to do more like hamstring curls, I think. And this guy, no doubt, has probably seen all the people go before him and use it on their legs. But he's like, no, no, no. I got this figured out. This is supposed to be for your head and your neck, and that's what I'm going to work out on this piece of equipment. He had, he had his own kind of ideas on this, all right? Okay, thanks. We can, we can take those off, but church, I believe that many of us, we want to strengthen our hearts, but left to our own ideas, left to our own ways and pursuits, in the end, our hearts are not being strengthened and they're actually becoming weaker and some are maybe even becoming hardened which is a very dangerous place for the heart to be and in our passage today we see in Hebrews 13 verse 9 that God gives us some insight into how he intends to strengthen and establish our hearts and he says in Hebrews 13 verse 9 he says do not be led away by diverse and strange teachings For it is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace. It is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace. And church, that's my desire for us this morning, that truly our hearts would be strengthened by the grace that God has provided for us. 
and by the grace that he's waiting to pour out on us. And the title of this morning's sermon is How to Be Strengthened by Grace. How to Be Strengthened by Grace. Grace being God's undeserved and unearned favor. And what we'll see this morning, we'll see that first we can be strengthened by grace by first remembering and imitating our church leaders who have taught us about God's grace. We'll see secondly that we can be strengthened by grace by looking to grace to stabilize, soften, and sustain our hearts each and every day. And finally, we will see that we can be strengthened by grace by putting into action what God's grace has empowered. It's a five-point sermon that I disguised as three points, because in that second point, we're going to learn that by grace, our hearts can be stabilized, softened, and sustained. And so all three of these will truly help our hearts to no longer be weakened, to no longer be hardened by sin and pride, but instead to be strengthened by grace. And so let's pray, let's ask for the Lord's help in that, and then we will, we will go to the Word. Father, we do ask for your help this morning. Lord, this is a group of people that desires their hearts to be strengthened, to be healthy, to grow in a love for you and for others, to have our faith established and strengthened, Lord, for it to be increased. And God, we want these things. And yet, Lord, we acknowledge in our own strength and coming up with our own ideas, we get off track really fast. We do things that maybe appear religious and yet are of no benefit for our hearts. And so I ask that you would expose those things this morning. We ask, Lord, that you would help us guard our hearts, that you would keep our hearts, for we know from them flows the springs of life. May your grace strengthen us today. Help us enjoy your grace and to see your grace in the word that you have for us. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Hebrews 13, verse 7. God's word says, Remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God, Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Now, church, we certainly have plenty of examples of church leaders who have fallen into sin, who have fallen away from the faith, who have face-planted and completely dropped the ball on caring for the people that God has entrusted to them. And I realize as we sit back and watch you know, well-known pastor after well-known pastor fall, it is easy to become a bit cynical and skeptical about the whole concept of church leadership. And I am there with you. I mean, some of this should cause us to question, is this even a good idea at all? But let me remind you, church, that even though we will be made aware of well-known pastors that are falling and celebrity pastors that fall, there have been a multitude of church leaders who have gone before us who have faithfully and humbly and graciously and courageously poured out their lives and laid themselves down for the sake of Christ's bride, the church. And here in God's word, we are reminded that healthy church leaders who teach the word and whose walk aligns with their talk, they are one of God's graces to us. And the next few weeks, we'll talk, we'll talk a bit about church leaders, and that's not because I want to do that. That's just where Hebrews 13 takes us, okay? And so next week in verse 17, we'll see that we are to obey church leaders and submit ourselves to them. The week after that, in verse 24, we'll see that the leaders of the church and the members of the church are both clearly greeted and addressed, and there is a clear designation there. But this morning, we are instructed to remember them and to follow their example. Now, verse 7, before we get into what it instructs us to do, there are two things that we see here that are true of the original recipients of this letter or this sermon. And so let's not quickly pass over it. The first thing that here is true of them is that they have church leaders. 
They have church leaders. They have leadership who has taught them from the word of God and that they have submitted themselves to. They have people that are in the church office of, of elder or pastor and have been actively pastoring them. And we believe that this is just as important for us today as it was for them back then. And if you've been here for any, any length of time, if you've gone through the membership process here, you've come to a point where you have committed yourself here to being a part of this local body. And your pastors have committed themselves to you to being your pastors. You see, one of the ways that we miss out on not being strengthened by God's grace is by not having pastors and allowing them to pastor us. And maybe at the very least, this looks like not knowing our pastors or our pastors not knowing us. There are some people who do not see the need to be pastors. They don't see the importance of it. And I fear that their hearts and their faith are vulnerable to be weakened, to be unstable in their faith, and to sometimes even be hardened. But the original recipients of this letter or this sermon, they had pastors. The second thing we see here is that they had multiple pastors. They had pastor leaders, plural. They are told not to just remember one single pastor. They are told to remember their pastors, plural. And this is how we do believe the Bible teaches that church leadership works best, is to have a plurality of elders who have been called by God to this office, who meet the qualifications set forth in Scripture, and who have been confirmed by the community of believers that they will be pastoring and leading. And this is why from day one here, we've been praying for, we've been pursuing, we've been encouraging and trying to raise up more elders, elders here. We believe that we will be a much healthier church as we continue to see more healthy elders raised up here in order that our people would be cared for well and so that we would be rightly taught the full counsel of God's word. So that's what pastors are supposed to be about. Look at verse 7. Remember your leaders those who spoke to you the word of God. This is what pastors and church leaders are to be about. They are to be about speaking to you the word of God, getting God's word to God's people. And if we here at, at this church ever start getting away from this, if it ever, if God's word is not the primary message here, please lovingly call us out and correct us. And there are a lot of bad reasons to leave a church, but this is probably one of the good ones. If a church and its pastors are no longer rightly and faithfully teaching God's word, if it's not the main thing, it's time to go. Or it's time for those leaders to go. But what we, what we must see is that when God raises up pastors for his people who teach the word of God, we should be thankful to God and see that they are a part of God's grace to us. We don't need to idolize and celebrate the, the, the leaders or the ones teaching the word. We don't need to put them on a pedestal. But we do need to be thankful to God and see that they are a part of God's grace to us. Your heart and your faith can be strengthened and it can be stabilized and your heart can be softened by having pastors who love you enough to pastor you and to pray for you. And to speak the word of God into your life, even when it would be easier just to remain quiet. And so remember your pastors. Pray for more pastors. Pray for the health of your pastors. They are God's grace to you. And since we don't just have one pastor, I can, I can speak of this and not really speaking about myself. When I'm speaking about this, I'm thinking about the pastors that God has raised up, raised up here that have been so good for my own heart. That's Pastor Gary and Pastor Kevin. And we pray for more to be raised up here. And I'm thankful for these men that have spoken God's word into my life and have called me out when I needed to be called out and have prayed for me when I needed to be prayed for. And they have pastored me well. This is God's grace to us. We are also then encouraged to, to consider the outcome of their way of life and to imitate their faith. Now, the writer of Hebrews is probably most specifically referring to this group of believers, pastors, who have taught them the word of God, but who are now either in prison or have been martyred or have 
just simply died, grown old and died, all right? And so there's, there's, there's one aspect here of this encouragement that's kind of like a count the cost, all right? This is a group of believers that had experienced some persecution already. They've got more coming their way, and it's like, hey, count the cost a little bit, right? You saw the faith of your leaders. You saw it maybe ended, some of them ended up in prison. Some of them ended up martyred. But not only is this an encouragement to count the cost, but this is an encouragement to look at the fruit of their lives. And may that be an encouragement to you to follow their example. And so maybe this isn't as directly applicable to, to younger pastors or celebrity pastors that you don't really know on a, on a personal basis, right? Uh, we're not sure how, how these, you know, and so, some of us younger pastors, we're not sure how they're going to finish, but consider your leaders. Consider some of your past pastors. Consider your uh, most well-seasoned pastor here at the church. Consider those ha- who have lived the life of faith and who are finishing the race well and imitate their faith. See the fruit in their lives. See the fruit in their churches and in their marriages and in their, with their kids. And be strengthened by the grace of God by seeing the fruit of a life lived by faith. Church, we are not the first Christians to ever set foot on the earth. God has been gracious to give us teachers and examples to follow. If you show up to the gym and have no idea how one of these machines work, certainly you could be humble enough to watch the people that go before you and follow their example. If they've maybe got muscles and the physique that you really want, that you, they've got the fruit that you see you would really like, watch how they work out. Watch how they live and follow their example. And I'm sure many of you have, have many pastors in the past that you could think of that, ha- that are finishing the race of faith well. Now, there will, ne- there will, never, be a, there will never, never be a perfect pastor, okay? Even as I stumble over my words, right? Very clearly, never going to be a perfect pastor. There's never going to be one that we want to imitate every single aspect of our life around. There was only one who ever met that standard. And his name is Jesus. But can't we look to some of our former pastors and imitate their faith? Can't we also read of, of uh, some good Christian biographies and watch the examples of some of these people and leaders and pastors that have gone before us? Can't we read of Hudson Taylor and J.C. Ryle and George Whitfield and Judson and Newton and Patton and Augustine and Spurgeon? and Packer, and Sproul. Now, none of those leaders are perfect, but oh, what grace from God to give us these examples so that we might learn from their teaching, we might imitate their faith, so that our hearts would be strengthened by grace. If you want a really applicable point here, go read a Christian biography and watch your heart and your faith be strengthened by the grace of God. Follow these people's example. But church, none of our church leaders have ever been perfect. None are guaranteed not to fall. And there is no pastor who is powerful enough to stabilize, to soften, and to sustain your heart each and every day. But there is someone much more glorious who is able to do that. And we find him in verse 8. Hebrews 13, verse 8 says, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. Church, we might not have any perfect human leaders, but we do have one, one by whom all things were created. One for whom all things were created. And one who went to the cross and endured the suffering that we deserved, who is today waiting to show us that same grace as now our great high priest. This verse is teaching us of the unchanging character of Christ. And oh, how our hearts are strengthened when we come to remember that we worship a God whose character is unchanging in the midst of an ever-changing universe. 
Doesn't this provide for us the stability that our hearts need to be strong? Right? The, the original recipients here, they were, they were experiencing a lot of changes. I mean, the day, of, uh, the day they worshipped was changing. The temple was soon going to be destroyed. The way they worshipped was changing. The whole sacrificial system was being done away. Their whole world was changing, and yet their hearts could be stabilized and strengthened by the fact that they had a Savior who is the same yesterday and today and forever. And does this not stabilize our hearts as well? To know that God's future grace to his people will be just as sweet and just as powerful as it has been in the past. But people both then and now always face the temptation of starting to look to other things besides grace to sustain them. Or start looking to other ways to try to get strong. Look at verse 9. It says, Do not be led away by diverse and strange teachings, for it is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace, not by foods which have not benefited those devoted to them. We have an altar from which those who serve the tent have no right to eat. For the bodies of those animals whose blood is brought into the holy places by the high priest as a sacrifice for sin are burned outside the camp. So Jesus also suffered outside the gate in order to sanctify the people through his own blood. Now we don't know precisely what the author of Hebrews is speaking out against uh, as far as this diverse and strange teachings that people were being led astray uh, on. Uh, But we do know that many of these people were surrounded by those who wanted to add some of the Jewish ceremonial food laws to their new lives in Christ. Or they wanted to mix in some cultic practices of, of eating certain foods and abstaining from other foods as a way to be more acceptable to God. This was then how they thought they were to be strengthened and their faith was to be established that, that it was going to be Christ plus some food laws. Christ plus something else. We also know that the priests under the old covenant that when they had offered up certain sacrifices, what remained was allowed to be eaten by the priest. And it was a sacred privilege to be able to do so. But one of the sacrifices, the sin offering, was not to be eaten, but instead it was to be taken outside the camp and burned. You see, these new Christians, they were, they were being given a hard time from their friends and family because so much of their worship up until this point, so much of their relationship with God before Christ had been centered on the altar of God and on the sacrifices that were offered up on that altar at the temple. And the writer is trying to tell them, hey, Jesus is the better altar. He's the better sacrifice. One in whom the priest who serve at the temple and get to eat that leftover meat, one in whom they don't have a right to come and eat of what we get to eat in Christ. Because just in the same way that the sin offering was taken outside the camp and burned, so too the word says that Jesus was taken outside the gates to suffer and to die. And so the people do not need to look to other things like certain dietary restrictions or religious regulations in order to sustain them and make them acceptable to God. They have Christ. And it is in receiving his righteousness all by God's grace that now he gives us the right to stand before God. But you see, our hearts and our faith are weakened when we try to sustain ourselves with our own righteousness instead of what we have received by grace. When we try to add to the gospel, when we try to add to anything else besides the person and work of Jesus Christ. And so some of us, we look to strengthen our own hearts and obtain a seat at God's table, maybe through, uh, maybe through our jobs. Being like, like, like if we are just really hard workers, if we are successful in our jobs, then we will earn a right standing before God. Then we can come and worship and feel like we are acceptable to God. 
Some of us maybe look to strengthen our hearts by obtaining a seat at God's table through, through our mercy and through our care of others. Like if we can just care more about the poor and the vulnerable than most other people, then we will have earned and deserve a right to stand before God. Some of us look to strengthen our hearts through our learning and through our education and through our theology. Like if we can just read our Bibles and the books we have more than the average person, then we will earn a right standing before God. Some of us look to strengthen our hearts by, by obtaining us by, by, uh, through our families. Uh, through, through Like if we can get a more better behaved kids and more successful kids than the people around us, then we will have earned a right to stand before God because we are good parents. Some of us, and here's a dangerous one, here's a dangerous one, look to strengthen our hearts through our ministry, through our missions, through the work that we are doing for the Lord. Like if we can just do more for the advancement of the gospel than the person sitting next to us, then we will earn a right standing before God. Then we'll be able to say, God, look what I've done for you. Church, left to our own ways, we will try to sustain and strengthen our own hearts by pursuing our own righteousness and right standing before God. And that whole way of thinking is what many of the Jewish people in the time of Christ, what many people in the city of Jerusalem had become like when Jesus walked on this earth. They were people who had the appearance of godliness, but whose hearts were far from God. They were people who were not being sustained by the grace of God because they thought their own righteousness had earned them a right standing. All the sacrifices of the Old Testament were still under the covenant of grace. That was God's grace to them, and yet they took these good things from God and they, they made it all about themselves. They thought it was their own righteousness that allowed them to stand before God. And what a tragedy it is when people confuse hard hearts with strong hearts. Hearts that have been hardened by pride are not the same as hearts that have been strengthened by grace. You see, in order to experience the sustaining power of God's grace, you've got to first experience a daily humbling of your heart. God's word in 1 P Peter 5.5 5 says, Likewise, though you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Church, God's grace is like water. It settles at the lowest spot. It's enjoyed by the lowliest of hearts. We have an area on our back patio that was, uh, uh, part of it was with the, when the house was built. And then part of it, when we moved in, we extended the patio. And the, the part we extended uh, sort of has a, a nice slant where the water just kind of drifts off into the grass. But part of the older part of the patio has a, has a dip. It has a low spot in it. And so that is where all the water accumulates and settles anytime it rains. In church, God's grace is like water. It settles at the lowest spot. And my prayer for us is that our church would be a low spot. Would be a people of broken and contrite hearts. That God's grace would be experienced and enjoyed here. And that we would be strengthened by it. As people whose hearts have been brought low. You see, we need sustaining and empowering grace to grow strong. But grace only goes out and only continues to go out to the humble. And there are many Christians who, yes, I believe, have been saved, have been justified by grace through faith. But I believe they are presently missing out on the sustaining and empowering and strengthening daily grace of God because of pride. God says in Isaiah 30, 
verses 1 and 2. He says, Ah, stubborn children, declares the Lord, who carry out a plan, but not mine, who make an alliance, but not of my spirit, that they may add sin to sin, who set out to go down to Egypt without asking for my direction, to take refuge in the protection of Pharaoh and to seek shelter in the shadow of Egypt. Verse 18. Therefore, the Lord waits to be gracious to you. And therefore, he exalts himself to show mercy to you. For the Lord is a God of justice. Blessed are all those who wait for him. Therefore, the Lord waits to be gracious to you. Church, many of us, many times, we have got our own plans. We've got our own plans to obtain our own righteousness, to strengthen our own hearts, to lead to our own joy. And then we hit some resistance, and we many times think it's, it, it's the enemy coming against us in spiritual warfare. And maybe sometimes it is, but I think oftentimes it is God himself opposing us and waiting for us to humble ourselves so that he might lavish upon us a Niagara Falls of grace. And so may we not allow our pride to deceive us and to harden our hearts, but may we humble ourselves before God and turn from seeking a righteousness in our own efforts. May we see the need for the grace of God in our lives each and every day, not just at the point of salvation, but each and every day. And may we remember that we have a Savior who journeyed outside the camp so that we might be able to stand before God clothed in his righteousness. Now, what does that mean, that Jesus went outside the gate or outside the camp? The camp throughout the Old Testament, as the people wandered through the wilderness, it was the center of Jewish worship and life, right? If you were in the camp, you, were, you, were, you had access to the community, right? You had access to all the privileges and advantages and comfort and safety of being in the people. And later, this became known as just entirely the city of Jerusalem, once that got established. And so to go outside the city gates or to go outside the camp is essentially getting at the same idea. And there were certain things that got you removed from the camp, all right? There were certain things that, that, that got you uh, uh, rejected and sent out away from the camp. So, for example, if you had certain diseases, right, if you had leprosy, uh, if you had anything that was contagious, if you had anything oozing from your body, right, you got sent outside the camp. If you were a criminal, all right, you would be condemned and you would be killed outside the camp. Outside the camp represented everything that was unholy. It represented everything that was separated from the presence of God. And so when Christ came and the religious rulers of Jerusalem rejected him, that was the camp rejecting him. And so the original recipients of this would have understood the camp to be rebellious Judaism who had rejected Christ those who didn't see Christ as being the fulfillment of the old, uh, old Covenant sacrificial system, those who rejected God's grace and instead wanted to work for their own righteousness. That was the camp. And our author is telling them that in order to follow Christ, you're going to have to leave the camp. You're going to have to leave the old sacrificial system. You're going to have to leave the temple. You're going to have to leave that, that human high priest. You now have a new high priest. And Jesus has gone outside the camp, and that is where you are to go as well. Jesus has gone to the place where those separated from God are. Jesus has gone to the place where those who are defiled by sin and condemned to die are. And church, it is there that Jesus went and suffered on our behalf. So that what was once unholy might now be made holy and sanctified through the power of the cross. Church, you and I, we were outside the camp. We were enemies of God. In our sin, we deserved condemnation. We were unclean to stand before a holy God. We were cut off from the blessings of the people of God. We were separated from the presence of God. But God, being rich in mercy... 
because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, even when we were outside the camp, Christ came and suffered outside the camp in order to bring near those who were once far off. Truly, by grace, we have been saved. And what a Savior we have who suffered for us outside the camp. And it is his unchanging character that stabilizes our hearts. It is his greatness and his glory that humbles and softens our hearts. And it is the fact that he is now a risen Savior who is interceding for us each and every day that sustains our hearts. How gracious God has been to us, church. We can now in Christ be strengthened by grace. And we will continue to now be strengthened by grace as we also put this now into action. The grace that we've received, it should empower us and should propel us into action. Right? We should not be the lady sitting on the treadmill. We are not to be sitting on grace. Grace is to be strengthening and empowering us and propelling us to action. And it is because of that wonderful, powerful, amazing grace that it propels us to follow him outside the camp. Look back at Hebrews 13, verse 13. Therefore, Therefore, let us go to him outside the camp and let us bear the reproach he endured. For here we have no lasting city, but we seek the city that is to come. Through him then, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. Now, the immediate application, right, for the original recipients was that they were going to have to leave the sacrificial system. They were going to have to leave the temple behind in order to be true worshipers of God through Jesus Christ, right? They couldn't try to do both. They couldn't try to do the treadmill and the Segway, all right? They had to leave one behind. They were going to have to leave what they were comfortable with. They were going to have to leave what they were familiar with. They were going to have to leave their former lives behind because now they are citizens of a new city that is already here but not yet fully realized. And no longer now does their worship look like offering up animal sacrifices. But now they are to offer up worship to God through Jesus by praising him with their lips, by doing good works, and by sharing what they have with others. In Christ, these are now the sacrifices that are pleasing to God. And really, many of the things we've already talked about in Hebrews 13, these are the sacrifices that are now pleasing to God, right? What did we see right at the start of Hebrews 13? We saw that we are to let brotherly love continue, right? We are to have a love for our brothers and sisters in Christ. We are to seek to show hospitality to strangers and welcome in the outsiders. We are to remember those who are in prison or who are being persecuted for the name of Christ. We are to cherish our marriages. We are to not defile the marriage bed. We are not to have a love for money. We are to be content with what we have. And now we are to praise God with our lips, through our songs, through our testimonies, through our teachings. We are to share what we have in Christ. These are now the sacrifices that are pleasing to God. And it is when grace has strengthened us that we are now empowered and we see that it should now propel us forward to go where Christ has gone, to follow Christ and to be willing to suffer as he suffered, to be willing to be mistreated and disgraced as he was mistreated and disgraced. Listen, the camp, all right, the camp, the camp at the time, the camp at the time of Christ, and many times the camps we are called out of are, are all about pursuing self-righteousness and self-preservation. That is typically the mindset of the camp. And God's grace empowers us to be willing to leave self-righteousness and leave the pursuit of self-preservation behind and to follow Christ where he is leading us. And so what this might look like, this might look like God's grace empowering us to be willing to step out of the camp 
of the popular cultural opinion in order to follow Christ. And this might mean losing friends. This might mean losing jobs. This might mean our reputations being slandered and and hurt. But God's grace will empower us and strengthen us to follow Christ where he has gone. We must be willing to suffer as he suffered. God's grace empowers us to be willing to step out of the camp of working for our own self-righteousness in order to follow Christ and receive his righteousness. Now, sometimes that's incredibly humbling and difficult to do for church-going people, right? It's sometimes this can be hard for us to do. Some of your really religiously zealous friends might think you are talking about grace too much. But we must be willing to step out of the camp of pursuing self-righteousness and self-preservation. We must follow where Christ goes. God's grace empowers us to be willing to step out of the camp of comfortable Christianity in order to follow Christ. This will mean living a life where the end goal is not the comfort of the individual Christian, but the end goal is instead the glory of Christ. God's grace empowers us to be willing to step out from our camps of familiarity and to step out into the unknown, to risk everything for the sake of Christ, and to trust that he knows where he is leading. And church, while that at, at, at one angle can seem like a scary thing, this is not entirely unfamiliar territory to step out of the camp. Why? Because Christ is there. And wherever he is, we are safe, we are secure, we are strengthened, and we will be sustained. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And so in conclusion, church, it is good for our hearts to be strengthened by grace and not by anything else. And so may we remember God's grace to us by giving us pastors who teach us the word and give us examples to follow as they live their lives by faith. May we be strengthened by grace when we look to the person and work of Jesus Christ to stabilize, to soften, and to sustain us each and every day. And may we be strengthened by grace to step out from the comfortable camp of self-righteousness and self-preservation and follow Christ outside the camp. And through him, offer up all we have and all we are as sacrifices that are now pleasing to God. Truly, it is good for our hearts to be strengthened by grace. Let's pray. Father, may you make us aware of how you have lavished your grace upon us. It truly is the air we breathe. It's the, it's the ocean we swim in. We don't always acknowledge it. We don't always see it. And we quickly can become more about pursuing our own righteousness, preserving our own names and reputations, pursuing our own comfort. Oh, but Father, would your grace, would your grace overwhelm us this morning? Would it shake us to our core to see all the ways, Lord, that we have received undeserved favor and blessing from you. May we not take it for granted. May we not despise it. May we not throw it aside. May we not add things to it. But Lord, may we enjoy it. Lord, we ask for the aspects of all of our hearts where pride still remains and where you are still opposing us. 
God, would you reveal that to us? Would you reveal to us the ways that you are still waiting to pour out your grace on us? Would you still show us the ways that you are opposing us right now? And Lord, may we humble ourselves. May our hearts be lowly. And may they enjoy the grace that comes to the humble. Lord, may you strengthen our hearts by your grace alone. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. We'll stand. Let's continue our time of worship. See you. 